We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 87, Don't Hate the Playa. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me again this week. How are you, sir? I am handsome. How are you, David? I am feeling quite pleased. Um, it was announced this week that uh, I'll be going to my first GP in March, GP Calgary. Um, it's uh, been a while since it's come here, and I'm looking forward to going to my first one now that it's coming back. That's really cool, man. I hope you have a good time there. Yeah, it's modern, so I'll be doing a bunch of limited side events, but uh, I think it'll be a good opportunity for me to play some some magic in a competitive scene uh, in paper, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, I have not on purpose, but accidentally ended up doing some side events at GPs, <laughs> and I can tell you the draft experience is a lot of fun. It's even not difficult if you've got you know four friends to get into a draft together with four people you don't know, and then you know make some new friends, play some games. Uh, you could also find eight people and go queue for a draft together. I mean, you could kind of do that anyway, but there's a lot of fun stuff you can do in those side events, and it's easy to just chain drafts. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about doing the the limited fanatic or something like that and just playing sealed all weekend, too. Like, there's a bunch of stuff I could be doing. So, um, And, you know, there's going to be parties and magic gatherings and stuff outside of the convention center. So I think yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I know a few people around here that play magic. Uh, there's a few people on Twitter that I know from Calgary that play Magic. Um, some are competitive, so I imagine I'll be able to uh, find a crew to hang out with, and I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I found that GPs are the most fun when you think of it as a Magic convention or party that also happens to have a tournament at it. You can play in if you want, but that's not the focus. Yeah, exactly, and that's how I'm going to do it. Maybe I'll even take the kiddo. We'll we'll see if she's uh, interested in going down and nerding out for like 12 hours of Magic, but that might be a tough sell. Yeah, br bring hydration and bring food. <laughs> bring hydration, bring food. Speaking of uh, Magic with the Kiddo, though, we did our pre-release this weekend. How'd that go? It was fantastic, as it always is. Two Headed Giant is a lot of fun. Um, listeners, constant listeners to the podcast will know that we've kind of come a long way. Her and I, when it comes to Two Headed Giant, first time we went out, I built both decks. Then she you know, participated in that. And then the last one, she built built her own and I helped tweak it. And this time around, she knew exactly what she wanted going in. She chose Selesnia. And she's like, I want to play green-white. Okay. And she's like, I know what to look for in green-white. I'm looking for big, dumb things. And I'm like, that's right. You're looking for big, dumb things. So she put together a curve. She put together her combat tricks and removal. And she had a bunch of big, dumb things. And uh, we made a, a, a few tweaks. We took out some, some of the worst cards and um, took out some uh, kind of duplicate removal spells. And um, it turned out to be really, really fun. She had a lot of fun with it. Um, we, we did play two at a giant. I was playing Demir. And um, we did some pretty stupid and busted things overall over the whole whole event. So it was, uh, it was good fun, had by all except our opponents. Just, magic is Garfield intended. Exactly. And then... Uh, Ended up picking up those uh, Magic Arena uh, pre-release sealed codes. That's the coolest thing they've ever done, man. It, it we're we're borderline doing it. Like, remember when we had our like wish list for Arena, 
Yeah. And Re- and Redeemable Coes was on there. This this was pretty cool and it's it's even if they never do codes in packs, I think I'm okay with this if they do this at every pre-release. So the I know you did one, but the value that I got on mine um I I did two seven win runs off of mine and I'm in the middle of my third run off of it. So I mean, obviously that's a, you know, huge win streak for me, but you know, I've gotten like three seals worth of value. And at the end of it, I'll probably have gems left over still. And be able to do a draft or two. Exactly. So like just in the interest of getting people to play arena from paper or even vice versa, like arena players are going to be like, man, I can go play a pre-release. Like I haven't played paper magic in 10 years. Why don't I go do that? And then I can just go do that online anyway. Um, I think it's really cool. And it's a really cool way to bring the paper and digital experience together, or at least, you know, make the Venn diagram, you know, closer to being a circle, I would say. Yeah. I, I, I wonder why it took this long. I mean, why not have that in magic online? I mean, people don't play magic online. They never, they stopped advertising <laughs> magic online at some point. Well, but honestly, like it, it's not noob friendly, right? Like, yeah, it's not, you, you know, I, I didn't, I have to say, like, I have to go back, like I have to give you a win on this one, but like going back, I didn't think that arena was going to capture the attention of so many people. Um, and, and not just the new players or the returning players, but I've seen tweets from pro players that are having fun playing arena. It's I've just seen, fun, man. I've seen tweets from like the hardcore or hardcore of hardcore, like modern players. Um, I was, I saw like friend of the show, uh, Emma Handy, uh, who we had on the, on the podcast the, around this time last year, I want to say, um, she, she writes for star city games and she's a super serious competitive modern player and she's streaming her pre-release sealed on on arena and it's like all of these people like you can you can be a competitive player and you can be a super serious player and you can still go play arena and be just as competitive in a flashier cartoony you know free to play environment and that's okay and it's really cool that to see like I think it was Brad Nelson and Ben Stark and people like that are are like saying like hey where can I get these pre-release codes or hey how do I stream this stuff how do I set up my OBS to stream arena I want to play and I think that's super cool um that that you know magic online is still great I still enjoy it I still draft on there and I I do think that is the premier play tool for people that want to be competitive online and and grow their game but I think the gap between those two is not as wide as I thought it was. And that's why I think I have to tip my hat to you because I think you you saw this coming more than I did. I also think that there will be a competitive scene that develops around Arena. We've just got to give it time, right? Like Arena was down a little bit today. Um, they, they did some maintenance. And I played a game of Hearthstone while I was there. Like th- that game's fun. There's no built-in tournaments, which I've said from day one that that Watsy does that better than anybody else. But there's a competitive scene that's developed around that game. Like there's, I'm sure, competitive Parcheesi players somewhere in a world championship. Like whatever game you make, there's going to be people that try to play it competitively. I'm excited to see that crowd develop around Arena. And I'm hopeful that there can be some sort of like limited group that's that's going for it. Because I want to be in it. Limited's fun. Yeah. So bold prediction time. Okay. Give me a number of years that you think it'll be until we have a streamed and and broadcasted, commented on, like live commenting, commentating, sorry, color commentary on Arena. Um, less than 14 months. 
less than 14 months. Mm -hmm. I think, I I think I'd take the over on 14 months, but I think it's, I think it's close. I think, I think by the end of next year, um, I think we will, there will be something in the works and we will know something about it. Like coming in March, 2019, we're going to have, or March, 2020 or whatever, we're going to (laughs) have our, our first 128 player single elimination tournament. Uh, and they're going to invite a bunch of streamers to it. And it's going to be $10,000 prize pool or something like that. And I think I think we're close to that. I think we're very close to it. That's why I was like, I, I think we will have this sometime next year. That was my my 14 months call. Yeah, okay. That's that's fair. I think there's a lot that has to be done still. Um, you know, they got to get it out of, out of beta. They have to get that label off. Didn't they I, say I, we're I, launching this year? Uh, I think, I mean, open beta kind of counts as launch to some people. It depends on on your, your definition Maybe it'll be launched by Christmas. I don't know. Um, but I, I think you have to get the, the, the beta label off of it, um, mm-hmm. which for some people is just this weird stigma about it. But it's, basi- it's basically like fully playable now. There's very little that is wrong with it. Beta is just a a word that they use when they screw things up or they make mistakes or there's bugs. It's beta. And once they get it out of there, then I think it has to kind of grow enough to the point where... Um, they're making enough money to have a premier, you know, dollar value event attached to it. Plus, they have to go through all the legal, the legal hoop or uh, hoops too, right? It's it's a worldwide client. Sure, but that's not how advertising works. You don't make the money and then run the tournament. You run the tournament so you can make the money. Also true, but I think they're doing a different form of advertising right now. And I think if that didn't pay dividends, I think there would be no reason to have these premier play events where Wizards was pumping the money into the event. I think they need to see some initial early success before they commit to that. And I think they are seeing it. Yeah, there's been more people watching Magic on Twitch than Hearthstone and PUBG over the past few days. Like, that is not something I ever... I didn't think that was going to happen this fast. I thought that was a next year thing, not a this month thing. Yeah, and and you can tell that like they're they're taking it seriously. Where there are um, so so we did the the streamer event um, last or two weeks ago or whatever it was. Was it last week? Already? It was last I week. Guess it was man. last week. Mm-hmm. Um, where I did four sealed events. You did you did a bunch of sealed events there, and they paid some big names streamers to to stream that. Right. I mean, I wasn't one of them that they paid, but they definitely gave me the the preview account for it. Um, but they hired specifically for advertising purposes um, people to play arena on that day some big streamers and they've been doing that kind of all for the like the last 10 days or so now right where um i'm trying to think of some names off the top of my head kibler was one for sure you know they have newman on their channel and you know some number of these people are being paid to do that and i think that's great advertising for the game um i think you know once it gets this foothold and and it's it's this popular without having to put a lot of effort into the advertising on Twitch um, to, to maintain it, I think then that's where you're going to see the plans come out for this organized play. Me too. And I think that can happen easily within a year. That is fair. We'll see how it goes. Maybe this time next year we'll be uh, petitioning to have, you know, applications and, and, you know, hire somebody from the community to do the, the commentary on these matches. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me. You want to bet a coffee on it? Yeah, let's bet a coffee on it. All right. So you said 14 months, 14 months next, next year, by the end of next year. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll take the over on that one. 2020. There's have to be like a dollar value attached to it. Like it can't just be like, uh, Hey, we're going to put 128 streamers together in this streamer showdown challenge. I think it's got to be like pro cash prize. 
cash prize. I thought you meant a dollar amount on the coffee. I was like, how much I'm is like, Tim Hortons, man? Okay. $5 max on the coffee. Okay. Okay. Deal. I am shaking your hand digitally right now. So, um, how, uh, so you did your pre-release sealed. How has your, your events been? You've done competitive drafts. You've done sealed on, on, uh, for Guilds of Ravnica on Arena. How has that been overall for you? So I, I want to say, first of all, I'm very happy to see sealed in, uh, Arena. This makes me very happy. I'm glad that a format that I've enjoyed so much can finally come here. I will say the sealed deck builder is not the best that I've ever seen. Part of that is because I'm not used to it. And it got easier the long that I, longer that I did it. I had a lot of people in chat complaining, complaining about how bad it was. And I was like, I, I remember an old exercise, and I don't remember why we did this, but somebody was explaining how doing things more efficiently takes longer initially, but then as you get used to it, it gets better. So somebody in a meeting called me up to a chalkboard and said, I want you to write your name on the board. And they timed me while I did it and said, okay, now write your name on the board, but skip the vowels. And it actually took me longer to write my name without the vowels. He said, well, that's obviously easier for you to do, but you had to think about it. We got to get you to repeat it until you can't think about You don't have to think about it. And like he walked me through doing this and obviously it, it took less time. So like the longer I played with the, the, the interface, the better it got as I got used to it. But I still think it's leaving a little bit to, to be desired. Um, when you're dragging cards around in the, the bottom to like move them and try to look at a curve, it's very easy to accidentally click them and put them back in the pool. And then you're not sure what you took out. So I, I think there could be some work done there. Um, the gameplay was second to none. I had an absolute blast playing it. I, I did come to a little bit of a conclusion in that I, I think I actually enjoy draft more now than sealed. And that wasn't the case this time last year. I think two things have happened to make that so. One is I'm not playing in the PPTQs anymore on Magic Online. Like, I've just kind of lost interest in, in that route for, for my digital success, which means I'm just not playing a lot of Sealed. And two, it feels like a lot of the sets over the past year have been somewhat synergy-driven. Either synergy-driven in that, you know, I need to make sure I have enough dinosaurs and, and or pirates... Or synergy-driven in that, you know, I need to have my Historic Matters cards and my Historic Spells. Or I, I can't play my Black-Green cards with my Blue-Red cards. So I, I think the Sealed formats have been a little bit worse lately, and I've just been less interested in playing Sealed anyway. So when Draft came out, I've had a blast drafting this set. I can't remember the most fun I've had drafting a set in a long time. Uh, it's probably since Hour of Devastation, this is the most fun I've had initially with a set. That is high praise from you. And I just want to say, again, constant listeners of the podcast will go back about a year and remember how we were talking about sealed versus draft. And and I think I think that's a win for me. I think you finally come around to my side. Yeah, I, th I think much like I was right about a lot of things, uh, you may have had a point here. I may have, I may be right about this one thing. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I I haven't done any drafts yet. I've only done sealed um, because I'm just going to keep playing sealed until I run out of gems uh, for my free one. I figured it's the, it's a really good way to get packs. It's a really good way to get cards. It's a great way to get cards. So that's another positive for like doing this every single pre-release. I hope they keep doing this because like yeah, I'm going to go to a pre-release and get some cards on arena. Why wouldn't I? I want to be able to like build a constructed deck with these cool cards on arena. Um, the 
the I think the problem I have with sealed in in this format specifically is that you know I'll open my rares and I'll have like oh sweet I've got three Boros rares you know I'll, I really want to play Boros and then I'll look at my white and I have like four white cards yeah and like that's not even an exaggeration where I just have like four mono white cards and like okay well now I'm playing three colors so I'm I'm splashing my Boros card so I got to figure out what color combination works best there or, or what I can do with my guild gates or lockets but like you know in in a non gold set you're opening up your packs and you're like you have an even split mostly of all of your colors and now it's like well here's a bunch of gold cards in a pile and then you have like the the five or six common white cards and and uncommon removal spell or something like that and you kind of have to figure all that out so i've actually just been going to where my removal takes me Mm -hmm. and um i play a lot of demir i play a lot of um a lot of boros like i think my first two seven wins were boros decks and then my other ones were golgari and uh and demir and things like that so it's um it's been fun, but I'm looking forward to draft. I think I'll start drafting probably next week once the once the long weekend is over here. I think that's up for me. So I'm not sure if I'll do it on Arena or Magic Online, but I think it'll be a lot of fun either way. Yeah, it's been a fun format. I, I will mention, I thought it was me when I started drafting on Arena that I was overvaluing white cards because I kept ending up in Boros or Selesnia a lot. Um, and I don't think it's me. I think the bots are, are, are overvaluing basically blue and, and black cards uh, to, a, to a pretty significant degree. Andy joked on chat that they had Paul Chion, you know, program the bots because obviously they would prefer Demir. Like, I haven't been able to put together a good Demir deck. I forced one and went 0-2 with it and got beaten by better Demir decks. So there are people out there that can get them. But like, out of, I've done what? What's that? Ten drafts, and I've been Boros or Celestia nine of them. That's kind of crazy. I've also seen just a lot of like people on even on Magic Online just drafting Boros. I think um, Mr. Metronome Ben from uh, the Lords of Limited podcast. I think he went nine zero in his first three drafts drafting Boros. Well, I mean, it, there's also like that leans towards how I play Limited Magic. Boros mm-hmm. is the guild of attack with creatures. Like and that's that's to me what limited magic is about, not dirtling around and trying to figure out stuff. Just let's play a four three and see if I can kill you with it. So Boros is the boogeyman of the format for you then? No, Boros is the warm soft blanket that makes me feel comfortable. I meant when they're in it's in your opponent's hands. Uh, do, you, do you think do you think Boros is is the not the deck to beat, but the deck that you have to be able to beat because you're gonna get run over by it otherwise, or do you think that's Demir? Uh, you need to be aware that Boros exists at, at, at the very least. Now it's not mm-hmm. to the extent that it, it was in gate crash. Did you play in gate crash? Yeah. That was like my second or third set. Okay. Back then Boros and Demir were in the same set. The difference was the Demir mechanics were so dirtily that they just didn't work. Uh, so that deck came together like once every 10 drafts and the Boros cards were so good. They were all two mana three twos with first strike like, you just couldn't deal with them. Boros has been powered down. Demir has been powered up. So it's it's not to the extent that, like, you have to be terrified of Boros. It's more that you need to be aware there's an aggro deck in the format. It's better than the aggro decks were in Dominaria, but that doesn't mean that it's absurd. People have asked me, where does this fall on the speed format? And I'm like, it actually feels like a normal set. Uh, it, it It's not Hour of Devastation slow. And it's not Gatecrash or Zendikar, you know, pick your fast format that you remember uh, fast. There's an aggro deck here, and it's real, 
And like, as, as soon as you see that you're up against a Boros opponent, go through your deck and pull out a couple sixes, add in a couple twos that you have in your sideboard, you're probably fine. Yeah, exactly. Once they start chaining Mentor together, that's when it's the problem. Um, I've said it before, but it kind of reminds me of Renown from uh, Origins. Yeah. Right? Once that first hit got in, it was really tough to start blocking those things. And that's what it kind of feels like in Boros. So, um, Let me tell you what, that Falter effect is really freaking good. I can't tell you how many times I've just lined up a couple Hammer Droppers and then just cast that and killed people. Well, so And I was asking you this on stream today, and I'm not sure where I came down on this one, but but a card like that, or even a card like, um, what was it, Risk Factor, right? The the Browbeat um, that was two and a red for an instant, deal five damage, or sorry, draw three cards or deal five damage, depending on what your opponent chooses, with Jump Start. And, um, I think it's four damage. Is it four damage? Okay, maybe it's four. I don't know. Four makes a lot more sense than five. Either way. Um, it's deal a non-insignificant amount of damage to your opponent. So, and a card like the Falter Effect, Cosmetronic Wave... You know, cards like that, if you're playing Boros and you're playing a, a, the, the super aggressive version of Boros, right? You're going one drop into two drop into three drop with haste, with mentor or something, you know, somewhere in there. If you if your opponent is effectively starting at 10 life, cards like that go way up in value. And See, um, thing and is, I'm thinking cards like that might be good in Boros in, in, uh, in the hyper aggressive version of Boros. I don't want risk factor in my Boros stack. I, I do want Cosmotronic Wave. Uh, because I need to be dealing my damage with creatures. So, like, if things have gone wrong for me, Risk Factor isn't a Lava Axe, which is what I need it to be. I want Risk Factor in an a deck, where I've got one of those walls down. So instead of them choosing, you know, do I do I want to take four damage, they have to basically be like, do I want to take half my life total? Do I want to take ten damage off of this thing? Or give them the cards? Because it can utilize the cards a lot better. Like, mm-hmm. drawing cards... Like, let's say that there was a divination in the format. I wouldn't put it in my Boros deck because I'm just going to draw a bunch more two drops. I don't want card draw. I want a way to p- force through my creatures. That That's fair. The, the thing about the... I mean, risk factor being an instant is kind of a huge difference, which is, I, I think, why... And, and, and you know, I've, I've only played against it a couple of times. I haven't actually put it in a deck yet. But I think that's that's why I'm, I'm thinking about does it fit in that aggressive Boros deck? Because if you have nothing else to do... Like, it's not something you're going to cast you know, just for the sake of drawing cards, you're going to cast it in a position where your opponent's in a tough spot to make that decision. And you're going to cast it at the end of your turn where if they do give you the cards, you know, you, you get to dump your hand the next turn as well. So I, I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting that Boros feels like you you start at 12 life well, and you're I, playing a different game than your opponent. Sure. But like most of my Boros decks have two Cosmotronic ra- waves and a, one inescapable blaze. So, like, they're functionally starting at two life. Like, I just need to get in that first hit and they're dead. Yeah, that's fair. See, I don't, I've only drafted the, the inexpla- inex- Inescapable Blaze um, in the Is It deck. I haven't had a chance to put one in the Boros deck yet. So. <laughs> Let me tell you what. It is yeah. really good in Boros. Sir, what's your life total? Yeah. Sir, man. I even had somebody try to counter it. That felt so good. It's like, yeah, you go right ahead. <laughs> That's awesome. I think Demir to me is the is the boogeyman in the format though. Like the good Demir deck is is nigh unbeatable if they get their their hand disruption combo going. It it can be, and like I have to admit, as much as I dislike uh, discard in limited, if you have enough of the surveil payoffs, the the double color uh, duress or whatever it is, is actually pretty good. It's it's not a duress; it's take anything. Uh, yeah. I can't remember the name of the card. 
I thought know, erasure. That's it. Yes. Yep. Like it's weird that like this this card was functionally in Aether Revolt. I can't remember what it was the name of it was, but it was black. They discard a creature card, scry one. It may have even been scry two. And like it was hot garbage. Nobody wanted it at common. But now we bump it up to uncommon, add blue to the cost. And yeah, it can get a a, a, a non creature too, but I mean whatever. And add surveil one to it, and it's just good because there's surveil payoffs. The difference is I have to have the surveil payoffs to want to play Thought Erasure. Yes, you're not wrong. Uh, you're not wrong on that one. But there's there's so much that you can do with your surveil, right? Like you can you can play disinformation campaign, which oh, I I don't know if you had a, if you've had the opportunity to loop disinformation campaign, but when you're casting it multiple times in a turn, that feels so good. So I did get to loop it. Unfortunately, my opponent was looping two of them, uh, and I lost that. that. Like I said, I had some problems with my Demir deck. I have had people loop it while I killed them with Boros. Uh, sure. So that that was interesting. But m- maybe I'm just too aggressive a player to actually be able to do all the fun, dirtily stuff. I was watching your stream and saw you starting to loop it and was oh, like, that so looks fun. like a lot of fun. It was so much fun. Um, and I, like, I kind of like the Burglar Rat, too, at times. Right, where you can, if you can stick a burglar rat on two and you get a card and then you know you you sacrifice it to your severed strands or you play your disinformation on three or something like that. Like there's a lot you, of hand disruption there. You play your plague crafter. I got to do that today and that's a lot Ooh. of fun. Burglar rat and a plague crafter? I haven't got to do that. It's really but, good. So like there's just it's interesting to me because normally I'm a green player and I have barely touched green in this format. And um it feels like to me that if you want to be an aggressive player, you can play an aggressive deck. And if you want to be a Dirtle player, you can play the Demir deck. And if you want to be a big butt green creature deck, you can play that deck. You know, and if you want to be a token deck, you can play that deck. Like there's a lot of decks you can play. Um, you know, you might not be able to force them in draft and, and have a, an ideal version of them. But I think this this set in draft seems to cater to a lot of different styles of player. <laughs> And, I, and I, I look forward to exploring the rest of the format when I get into draft instead of having to just look at a sealed pool because I don't know what I want to draft. Like going into a draft, normally I'm like, oh man, I'd love to open a Glorybringer. I'd love to open this. I can't think of my ideal cards that I want to open this set. Like sure, it'd be great to open a, a Aurelia and play Boros, but it would also be great to open a Thief of Sanity and play Demir and just like mill my opponent and play their best spells. Conclave Cavalier is pretty good too. We've started referring to that as two elves in a centaur suit. I'm pretty happy to open those. That must be that might be the the best nickname in the format. Yeah, it's good. I, I've been very happy drafting this. I can't wait for you to draft it either and talk about it next week because I think you're going to have a good time. All right, is that the plan? We're going to do draft draft uh, podcast next week. Yeah, we'll do a draft along. All right, we'll ooh a whole a draft along. Yeah, why not? Okay, we'll get some good data and we'll we'll put one together here. So aside from playing sealed and draft, did you get an opportunity to do any uh, any of the other events on arena, or have you been playing any constructed? I did. Well, I mean, we need we need to put this in here. Right now, the sealed events are very expensive, gym wise, to enter. The payout is great if you're looking to build your collection via packs. It's not so great if you're looking to chain seals. What David has managed to pull off doing one basically sealed event and then chaining that into more is incredibly difficult. Uh, the draft is only available in competitive draft, and I think we've spoken plenty about our thoughts of the prize structure there. It's it's very generous if you're looking to get packs. It's not so generous if you're looking to get gems. So what I recognized is currently as Arena stands, 
if I want to stream and play Arena, I'm going to need to play Constructed. It, it's not, it doesn't matter whether I want to or not. I'm going to have to in order to produce content between drafts. Uh, this, this is just not set up where you can sit and draft all day and go infinite, whereas Magic Online was. Um, so having said that, I was like, I do need to get into some Constructed. And they had that uh, free Singleton event firing for the release weekend. So I used my one Mythic wild card to craft a Nickel Bolas, obviously, um, and built a deck to prey on rat decks because it seemed like everybody was making those. So I just put in anything that made two creatures for one. Uh, the little goblin that comes with a friend, the aviation pioneer that comes with a friend, just anything that made things that messed up rats or did negative one, negative one, and uh, had a blast annihilating rats. It was actually really fun. One of the things that is really cool about Arena is because there's so many people playing it and so you know people on the internet people like me they want to go they want to break the format they want to go in there and they want to do something stupid and make everybody miserable and get their wins and just say haha look at me i'm I'm so smart and i love that about arena i love that within the first couple of hours of this singleton format for this free singleton people you're starting to see these rat decks and it's like why didn't I think of that? This is so cool. And then it's like, I can either join them or I can beat them. And then you had all these people starting to post these rat catcher decks. And then all of a sudden the rats started to disappear. <laughs> and I'm stuck with these like stupid, you know, plague mares that don't kill anything on my opponent's side of the table in my hand. And it's like, this sucks, but this is like the, the speed of the meta and how fast it can, it can change. And I think that's really cool, especially early in the format here, early in the wipe when not, not everybody has all these cards. I think it's really cool to see, um, kind of the ingenuity and the creativity of the player base because you put an infinite number of monkeys at typewriters and they will end up with a rat deck. For me, I enjoyed the singleton, especially on release weekend because it felt like a really big sealed pool was what I was playing essentially. And most mm-hmm. of the people I was playing against had that too. I agree. And it it was actually kind of funny to see too is that people were making rat decks that were um pre uh, essentially pre sideboarded like there's no sideboarding in this but like to take care of other rat decks mm-hmm. so so people started to play black white versions of the rat deck with Ixlens binding on the splash and plague mares of their own and things like that and it was just it, it was just funny to see i i love the whole thing um i ended up turning one of my the first two color decks into a singleton deck because it was pretty decent and um had, had some good success there so it was it was pretty cool it was pretty cool i would definitely do that again I think the next time it comes around, it'll be a little bit different because of the collections will be so much larger. Yeah. Um, but, but it was nice and magical to have on that first weekend. It was fun. I, I haven't built anything for standard yet. Um, I'm normally not a brewer in standard. I'm more of a copy the deck and then play it kind of guy. Uh, but I'm sure there's some lists out there and I'll need to get into it soon. But honestly, the first week I'm just going to draft and next week it's out on quick draft. So I'm just going to do that too. And if the quick draft after that is Hour of Devastation, well, I'm I'm not doing standard that week. But if it's Ixalan, maybe, maybe we can talk. Hopefully we get Guilds of Ravnica for a few weeks, but uh, I could see them rotating because nobody has anything in their collections, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've got to have drafts from those old sets. It's probably not going to be Hour because that's not in standard, uh, but I could see them doing uh, Ixalan and Dominaria or something. Yeah, for sure. Um, So how how have you felt so far in the growth of your your collection basically primarily playing draft and and sealed you know i haven't really put any time into looking at it yet i'm opening packs on stream which i didn't used to do and i feel like i'm opening you know somewhere around 10 packs a day 
So I'm seeing stuff go in there. I'm seeing the wild card collection grow. I feel like I've got enough to make a tier one deck, but I've probably spent 8,000 gems on seals and drafts. So right, like, and that was that was from your initial investment that you've now get got to respend. So what does 8,000 gems result in? Is that like $30, $40, somewhere in there? Honestly, I don't know. And I suppose I that's either. one of the reasons why they have multiple currencies so you don't feel like you're spending actual dollars while you're doing it. But like my goal and in, in incentive and desire is to just draft until I can't. And then we'll play things uh, <laughs> and and find another way to be entertained. So, so you've spent about 8,000, um, and you've drafted, but you played for, what has it been now, like a week, I guess? It has been, and a lot of that went into the sealed. Like, ironically enough, when I was doing the preview thing, I had 7765 as my results. And then as soon as I got in here, it was like 2-3, you know, 1-3. Mm-hmm. So it's like just a string of bad luck. And I, I don't know if I had bad pools or built it wrong or played wrong or whatever, Um but it, it did not end up going particularly well. And this was like, I'm probably kind of done playing sealed here for this. Right. But then you've also done some competitive drafts too in there, right? So how many events would you say that you've done on your 8,000 gems? I have done 10 drafts and five seals. Okay. Oh, you know what? So that's not so bad. So if, if you, now you obviously you're, you're like plowing through, you're doing as many of these things as you can on stream. Um, but like you know, you're you're definitely the the top one percent when it comes to people that are playing this game in terms of how much you're going to play. Yeah, this is probably like a month and a half or two months worth of play for your average player, and for fifteen bucks a month, you can't beat that. I was gonna say, so like, you know, step back and your average player doing this, maybe they're not gonna draft every day, but they they might do their constructed every day and get their daily quests in there. Um, you know, forty dollars for for that many events for for a you know an average player, somebody that only plays on the weekends or something like that, that seems like pretty good value, I think, overall. I did do four M19 drafts as well. I forgot about those. Okay. Uh, so so done, quick drafts. Close to 20 close to twenty events. Yeah. And competitive drafts are something that you're not interested in doing more than that. You'd rather do quick draft, obviously. So if, if those happen to be quick draft, you know, you're you're probably getting a lot more mileage out of your out of your gems there as well. Yeah, I will be switch like if this is up for competitive and quick, I will be swapping. Although it's been really nice to have sideboard cards. I'm still very hopeful. Like like I said, I I played a little bit of Hearthstone today and the way they do their limited is it's basically phantom. I'm still hopeful that we'll get something like that for people who just want the limited experience and don't care about the value of the cards. Uh that'd be great for me. Right. Absolutely. But so again, from sustainability side, you know, um, competitive, not up there sealed is good value if you want the packs, but not necessarily if you want to chain them together and quick draft still seems to be the way to go. Um, if all you all you care about is drafting as many times as possible. Yeah. Literally I put in 20 bucks and then drafted for two months and that's a lot of drafting for me. I streamed six days a week and, and just was just drafting constantly. Yeah. So from my from my perspectives, I've I've been tracking my my free to play collection, and um, in fact, I wonder if I have it up here. I can probably bring it up. Last time I looked, the uh, I had a collection of about forty percent of the, excuse me, forty percent of all of the cards I had at least one of. Obviously, many of those are commons, um, but I had about eleven percent of the the mythic cards. So like unique copies of the mythic cards. So I have like you know. 
uh, some planeswalkers and things like that but i have out of all of the mythics i have at least one of 11 percent of them um, and rares were about 20 due to 23 percent. so just in a week based off what wizards gives us in the the new player experience doing some seals opening some packs you know um, i got the welcome bundle and things like that um, well i don't think i can build a tier one deck specifically i do have a lot of options to to play in the free ladder with like if i want to mess around with a ralzeric deck i can do that um if i want to mess around with the teferi deck i can do that you know things like that and um and i feel like i'm close you know i've got a bunch of wild cards sitting there my bottleneck right now would be mythic wild cards but i think that just in a week of playing every day and doing my daily quests and doing some seals um i do have a lot of value here um to, to start playing constructive constructed pretty quick here so I've been pretty happy with that so far. Um, again, I think I'm not an average player, though. I think, you know, I can jam out four to five wins in a couple of hours tops because I'm probably winning 60 to 70% of my games, at least, I would say, in, in the free play, in the ladder anyway. Um, and also, I'm playing every day. But, I mean, you're getting, your mileage is going to vary, but just keep that in mind is that if you're committed to it, you should be able to get a free-to-play deck, a, a good a good quality deck without, um, you know, spending too much effort and, and money. You haven't spent anything besides the welcome bundle, have you? No, that's all that I bought. And then I got my free sealed, so. Yeah. So I'm up gems from that, but I will be doing quick drafts, and I do expect that I will have to spend money on that at some point. But I'm also going to save my gold to hop into to Guilds of Ravnica drafts as well there, right? So I'm basically trying to coast as far as I can on this, um, knowing that, you know, I am going to reward wizards with some money here in, you know, when I run out of gems at some point, because it's just too, it's just too much fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I think this is one of the better, like, in all honesty, I think this is one of the better digital offerings we have for a collectible card game. Like, I, I'm very happy streaming it. I don't want to be streaming something else. It The days fly by when I'm playing, and it, it like, I, I'm not going on tilt. Like, you can remember days when you tune into the stream around lunchtime, and I'm playing something else, right? Like, that's either Into the Format Blues or Travis got tilted in the PTQ. Uh, and that's just not happening as much with Arena. Like, I, I really love the design. I love the gameplay. I love the flashiness. There's no reason our game can't look good. It doesn't have to look like crap to still be magic. So I, I, I'm a happy boy. It really just needs drafting against real people and best of three drafts that I can enter with gold. And there's no reason for me to play magic online anymore. That's that's the one thing I want is is real drafts against people. If if that comes out and it's phantom, I'm such a happy camper. Well, let's get that Christmas wish list going again. It's almost the almost that time of the year. It is about that time. There's one other event that I wanted to talk about here in Arena, and this is uh, this could pique the interest of uh, kind of the more serious com- uh, constructed players out there. They announced what they're calling the Metagame Challenge. This event seems really cool, although not for me. Um, people that have kind of built their decks and are pretty proud of what they've got in the kind of the first week of Standard here get to play in this one, I think. So it's 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 a different event than what they've done before in that it's single elimination. Um, with a top-heavy prize pool and a reasonable prize uh, or reasonable cost to entry, so it's two thousand gold to enter. And at your first loss, you're eliminated. But at seven wins, if you max out at seven wins, you get thirty packs and five thousand gold back. But you got to win seven in a row. You got to win seven in a row. Here's the thing: in single elimination tournaments, somebody always goes undefeated. Yeah. So somebody's going to win those packs. And even if you get to uh, five wins and you get 3,000 gold in 10 packs, that's really good value um, 
for the time that you played. So I, I think this is going to be hopefully a an experiment that they repeat. You know, these kind of um, you know low entry, and you got to kind of catch lightning in a bucket. Sorry, lightning in a bottle. I've been listening to the the radio around here. They call it lightning in a bucket, and you know, win six or seven in a row to get that huge payout. But I think that that kind of excitement at, at a low price point or low entry point, you know, lends itself to really interesting streaming opportunities for people like you and me, or even just people that are just like, you know, I want to prove to people that I'm the best arena player. You know, I'm going to go and jam these things and get my seven wins and then show off with a screenshot of my 30 packs. I think, I think that's really cool. Um, and a really good use, uh, of, you know, people's free to play gold if they don't want to buy packs and they don't want to draft with it. Yeah. I, I, again, I've, I've said this over and over, like there's times where I will pick on Watsy for things that they don't do well. Coming up with a tournament structure is one of the things they always knock out of the park. So I'm even interested in trying to put together a deck for this. I don't know that I'll do it because it's happening around the same time as the new sets out to draft. But if they throw something up like this, you know, a month from now, I'm probably going to get involved. Yeah, exactly. I will, um, I'll see if I have a, a good deck around that time. Maybe I can find something and, and game the system. Maybe I'll make a rat deck or something. That's what the world needs. More rat decks. Anything else you want to talk about arena or you want to kind of hop into your soapbox here? So it's a soapbox, but I also feel like it's a level up and, and yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go with it if you are. All right, let's go. Switch okay. Gears. So don't hate the player, hate the game. I wanted to talk some about hate drafting. And I, I thought to start, I need to clearly define what hate drafting is. And this is coming from, I've had a lot of new viewers and a lot of people who are new to drafting. And we'll have a lot of draft strategy start to appear in my Twitch chat, which is a truly wonderful thing to have people talking about draft in in you know, a magic Twitch chat. That's that's certainly a good thing. Um, but they're talking about the one thing that Arena still needs is drafting against real people, because obviously now hate drafting doesn't make any sense. But they start to talk about, well, at FNM you can still hate draft, and on Magic Online you can hate draft, and eventually we'll be drafting against people here and we can hate draft. Dave, do you hate draft? I love draft. You love draft. So I I want to start out with defining exactly what a hate draft is, okay? A, a hate draft is not, you know, pack two, pick one, you open an Assassin's Trophy at FNM and you're aware that the card is worth $20, so you take it over a card that would go in your deck. That's not hate drafting, that's money drafting. That's taking a card that you're not going to play because it pays for your event. And we've all done that in Magic Online, we've all done that in Paper, we're probably not doing that in Arena, but you could still have collection drafting while you're in Arena. Like, you're limited in the cards that you have. You only have so many wild cards. And you happen to pack three, open Aurelia, and you really wanted two of those for your Boros Constructed deck, but you only had one Mythic Wild card to make one, so you take it. That's not hate drafting. That's just taking a card that you need for your collection. People will also say, well, what if there's nothing in the pack for you? Well, then you're not hate drafting. Like, and I would challenge you to, like, I'm, I'm going to go a level deeper here. If there's nothing in the pack for you, it might still be a good idea to pass that decent card to your neighbor. Because the way I look at draft is it's a cooperative experience. If Dave is to my left and Tommy is to my right, I want to make sure both of those gentlemen get a read on what colors I'm in and let them, like, signal to them what colors I'm not. 
so that we can kind of cooperate, that makes our three decks better than the other decks at the table. And I'm, I'm more likely to face one of those five than I am one of these two. That's just how numbers work, right? Whereas if I hate draft and I take a card out of a pack, so, so what is a hate draft? Uh, can you think of a good example of a hate draft? So I'm playing Boros, and there is a good black removal spell in the pack, and also good Boros cards. And I take the removal spell because I'm like, I don't want my opponent to use this against me. Yeah, I I, I would say something like they they open uh, Price of Fame, and there's also mm-hmm. a Boros Challenger, and you're like you have no Guild Gates, you're not splashing it. It's pack three. You're not going to move into black. It's too late. Uh, even further could be you open a Vraska and you're you know deep into is it and you've opened a hypothesisal in a Vraska. If you take the hypothesisal, you're definitely going to play it. If you take the Vraska pack three, you're definitely not going to play it. But you're taking it with the idea of I don't want to play against it. So what you're doing when you make that pick is making your deck worse by some percentage because you don't have that hypothesisal or that Boros Challenger in it, when that would be a good card for your deck and you'd want it. And you're making someone else's at the table's deck worse by some percentage, because they're not getting that card that they would play. So you've made your deck worse and one of the other decks worse, but there's eight decks at the table. The other six you haven't impacted at all. They're still where they were, right? So if instead I take the good card for my deck, and I pass that card that's going to be a good card maybe for my neighbor. Maybe they're going to hate draft it. That'd be sweet because then they made their deck worse and somebody else's deck worse, but mine's still good. Or maybe they're going to play it. Let's say that they are, that they're in Golgari and I pass them that Vraska. My deck's better, their deck's better, but we're both still even footing with the rest of the table as long as they're drafting with this in mind, right? How many people do you play in an eight-man draft? Three. Three. How many people are in an eight-man draft? Um, carry the one. Eight. Eight. So how many people do you not play? You don't play against four. You don't play against four of them. So for that hate draft, that like that guy or gal that I passed the Vraska to, for that to actively hurt me, I have to play against them. And I'm actually less likely to play against them than I am to play against them. Because there's four people I'm not going to play and three people I am going to play. So Odd says, I'm probably not going to play them. If I do, they have to draw the card. And if they do, it has to matter. That's a lot of ifs. So if I'm legitimately hate drafting just to make my neighbor's deck worse, there's a a legitimate cost to it. And I just don't think it works out math-wise. For me, I think draft, when you're in a pod and you know that you're going to play against the people that are in that pod, whether it's in Magic Online or in paper or at a friend's house, you you need to think of the draft portion of that kind of like a cooperative game. You ever played Pandemic? Yes. That's actually a, a pretty fun board game where you kind of all work together to stop an outbreak of a deadly disease. So you're not competing against the other players. You're working with them to do something. It also reminds me a little bit of like raiding in World of Warcraft. Like, it, you know, you need the, the warrior to hold the monster so that he can get beat on. And you need the clerics to heal the warrior. 
like if the wizard in the middle of that fight turns and shoots one of your clerics, you'd be like, dude, what are you doing? And kick him out of the guild. Like, that's just stupid. Shoot the dragon, not the good guys. That's what hate drafting is like. Like, you need to cooperate with the people at the table so everybody can get the best deck. And then once you have it, then we're into competitive mode. All of a sudden things change. So the draft, you're cooperating with your neighbors. Like, think for a minute. If you're in a position where you could, and I understand that you can't do this and it would be unethical and there's a lot of problems with it. But Dave, if you could sit down at a draft and I'm immediately to your right. And before we started drafting, I could just whisper to you, I'm going green black. Would your draft be better or worse knowing that information? It would be so much better. Would you take green black cards? No. Why? Because I'm not going to get them. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Like I, I have, I have all that information. So it's just like if I knew that was coming, I wouldn't hate draft to you. Right now, if you were on my left and I was passing to you and you told me you were going to go green black, I might cut those. But that's a different story because I'm a mean guy. Yeah, that's a whole different story. At that point, you <laughs> might be like, "Cool, I'm going to take advantage of that." Exactly. So, and I've had people bring up all sorts of occasions where they think it's okay to hate draft. The biggest one is team draft. That's not what I'm talking about. Team draft is hate draft. That's all you do in team draft is take the best card out of every pack and then build a crappy sealed deck. Like I've done team draft. I've done well in team draft. I understand how it works. And that that's just not what we're discussing. They'll talk about, you know, well, there's not a good card in the pack for me. That's just not hate drafting. However, I would say if we're very late in a pack and I, I'm going to use examples from the current set, but I think this holds up anywhere. I'm deep in Boros and I get a pack that just has, you know, guild cards for all of the other guilds and then a white card that I just, I know I'm not going to play. I'm not even going to sideboard it. I just probably don't want it in my deck. Uh, What's that enchantment? The candlelight vigil? Yep. So there's a candlelight vigil. I've already got one. I certainly don't want two, but I'm looking in here and there's also one of those Demir uh, death touchers, the dark blade agent. So I could be like, well, the best card in the pack is the Dark Blade Agent. I'm just going to hack it. But if I take, if I do that, then the Demir person next to me may be like, huh, I really thought Demir was going to be open, but it's not. I guess I'll keep my eyes open for something else to pair my, my blue with. Maybe I'll pair it with some red cards. And all of a sudden you just made your neighbor take all the red cards that you're interested in in the next pack. Whereas if I just take the Candlelight Vigil, there's only three cards in the pack. I'm not switching into Demir. Be like, okay, fine, I have two of these. I'm not going to play it. My neighbor is like, aha, I'm so smart. Demir is open. I knew it was open. And they're just going to buckle down in a color combination. That's exactly what I want them in. So even in a scenario where there's nothing in the pack for you, which doesn't qualify as hate drafting, I still think it's worth it to send a signal if you're committed. Now, if you're not committed, and and let's say it's a normal set, and like I've got 10 red cards, and I see a late good blue card, yeah, take it. Right? Like in a normal set, you're absolutely gonna do that. But here, when there's there's just no way I'm gonna play that Dark Blade agent, I'm just gonna pass it down the line so my neighbors get the message, hey, stop taking the Boros cards, man, because I will hook you up with Demir. So I I think having said all of that, I just I, I legitimately can't see a scenario where I think it's a good idea to hate draft. I've heard some people who are good drafters that I respect talk about pass cutting and all of these things that they do, and they're usually talking about team draft when they're talking about it. 
like trying to hook their neighbor into thinking that black is open by passing them a good black card and then cutting it so that their deck is worse. It's like, that makes sense in team draft, but if if you're doing that at an individual draft and think you're able to read and manipulate the draft that well, A, you should probably join House Demir because uh, they'd love to have you if you can actually pull that off. And, and B, you're more likely suffering from what I've seen time and time again on the battlefield, fancy play syndrome, where you're, you're just making things way more complicated than they need to be. Uh, so just just try it the next time you're drafting in an environment where you're going to play against the people that you're drafting with. Note who's sitting next to you. Note the cards that you pass them. And then check and see if you play against them. If you don't, none of it mattered. If you do, see if they play that bomb that you passed. Because you may not have read it correctly, and they may not even be in those colors. So do do yourself a favor and practice love drafting. I do love drafting. Yeah. That was good. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna bring up possible scenarios where I think you could hate draft because I don't even want to muddy the waters. I just think I think everything you said there is right. And I think unless you're on that next level where you think you where you are manipulating the draft or you think you can manipulate the draft, um, just don't even bother. And then if you're playing if you're not even playing pod drafting, just it doesn't matter anyway, right? If you're playing on Arena, this doesn't matter. If you're playing in leagues on Magic Online, this doesn't matter. This really only applies to the eight-person queues on MTGO and your Friday night drafts or your Pro Tour drafts, whatever. You know, and it, it could matter on Arena sooner than you think. I've just heard too many people talk about it. And, and again, I, I strongly believe that a lot of people who think they can read a draft that well and manipulate it can't. I think that you could. We tested that with some crack-a-packs earlier, and you were able to tell me what your neighbors were in. You still weren't trying to actively manipulate it and put them in different things. You were just trying to read it. And I think like that's 90% of drafting, is reading the signals and figuring out what you should get into and then doing it. You'll end up with a better deck most of the time than if you try to manipulate it. Because if you try to manipulate it and you go wrong, you just end up with a pile of garbage, and you're losing that draft. So, like, the, the price for failure is just way too high. Agreed. That was a nice little level-up topic. Hopefully that helps somebody out. I believe that it will, based on experience and, and what I've seen people talking about in Twitch chat lately. Outstanding. It's kind of funny how the Twitch chat has now come around. It was a bunch of new arena drafters recently, and now they all kind of got they got to be pro, and they're playing their Friday Night Magics, and they're crushing it after all their experience on arena. Yeah, and they've just figured out hate drafting, and they're like, "Man, I've got something cool." And this I'm is like, so awesome. Did Whoa, you know Nelly. that you could take? You can take your opponent's cards from them. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't yeah. work. All right, well, this is a good episode this week. Not quite as long as last week, and, and that's okay. Week, and that's okay. And next week we'll come back and we'll have uh, we'll do a, a bit of a draft along, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about some uh, some draft experiences that we've had now that I will have had at least a couple of days to draft it. So I look forward to that. Yeah, looking forward to the draft. And I'm, again, probably going to make that Fourier into Constructed, I don't know, sometime in the next three or four weeks. Uh, basically, when I can't draft a quick draft format that I'm happy with, that's when we'll take some time to peek at Constructed. I look forward to that as well. We should do some brewing. Yeah, down, bring, down. Br- bring your brews to the stream. Let's go. Okay. I, I'm just going to see what the pros play. So yeah, that's my brewing. Yeah, I drink a beer while I see what the pros play. (laughs) I'll take the whiskey. All right. 
Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. Uh, thanks to um, Face to Face Games for the host and the support. And if you, faithful listener, want to support us at the same time, you can catch us on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash menformoto. Travis, where can they catch you drafting and uh, streaming this week? I'll be at twitch.tv slash simulan. Uh, you can also find me at Twitter uh, on Twitter under the same name. And I am at dcivilian on both. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can also follow us on Twitter at Men From Moto. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Adios.